Thank you for listening to the Hillsview Men's Ministry. We are a group of men building relationships to equip and encourage each other. I promise this won't be a lecture. <clears throat> I'm a dentist by occupation, not a medical doctor. So I want to start this uh, conversation with a disclaimer that uh, I'm not trying to detour anybody from their respect for their own doctor and I respect the medical profession and this is more or less a food for thought give it some uh, evaluation is the best way to say because I think our a common theme in medicine today and somewhat in my own profession is what we call prescription pad medicine and I'll give you a few analogies try to compare my <coughs> profession with the medical profession but my key thing to this morning is if I can hope to provide a few insights into what I feel are some wrong directions we're heading in, maybe it'll provide some thinking that uh, it promotes you or activates you to being uh, a key element in taking the best steps towards your optimum health care, personally. It's a personal responsibility. I'm also not advocating any product, diet, or and I have no financial interest in, uh, I don't even have stock in floss companies. But, <laughs> so, but I will state that towards the end. But so uh, the key thing I would like to begin with is, uh, and there'll be a two parts to this. This is part one. So an analogy of how I reflected on thinking of how to start this discussion was, a patient comes and sees me and complains of a tooth that's sensitive to cold and sweet. Maybe we've all experienced that. And I listen to him and I get out my prescription pad and write him two prescriptions. One that he doesn't consume any drink colder than 90 degrees and the other is that he avoids sweets. And send him on his way after he stops at the office and of course pays the bill. But <laughs> then. Uh, remember that. I'll bring that back later. Now, again, I'm not uh, dissing the doctors because I have a few discussions with my own doctor who I saw yesterday, and I didn't take a flu shot, which is not saying you shouldn't, but uh, we get go around and about on that. But the true state of health in our country is pretty poor, and it's not increasing, it's declining. I mean, money does not solve the problem. And I go back to that personal responsibility. God created us in his image. He produced in us an amazing uh, set of uh, organisms that provide for our health. That's our gut and mouth bacteria, which I'll touch on a few of those things. But it's a matter of how we treat this physical body we have while we're on earth that is what we should give serious thought to, which doesn't always come to be. We get busy with life, we get busy with habits, we get distracted with other elements that come tossing at us from caring for our elderly parents and whatnot. But uh, some of the handouts, I won't touch on all that's in there, but our, our U.S. health care is, is on the low end compared to the Western world and Western countries. Um, you're going to hear this. I'm trying not to be political this morning. Um, but universal health care, one-payer systems. I mean, if the government 
up to now hasn't been able to improve our health, and I'll give you some numbers on that later, um, it's not going to happen. I mean, there's no miracle out there that leaving our health care and passing that responsibility to somebody else or to something else is going to make it better. Um, back in the 60s, Lyndon Baines Johnson came up with the Great Society program. That became Medicare. Medicare costs in the initial part were based on a percentage. If you charged a dollar, they paid 90% and on down the line. So it didn't take long for hospitals, doctors, and other entities to realize, well, I'll charge 110%. Now I'll be even. And that kept going. I mean, the cost of those first four or five years just skyrocketed. And a uh, statistic, I'll try to avoid some of these, but this one just stuck out. We spend somewhere between $3.6 trillion on medical care in this country today, of which the government may be $1.4 trillion of that, Medicare, Medicaid, and so forth. 18 to 19% of our gross domestic product is spent on medical care, and that includes everything you lump sum in there. And, and this one just jumped out at me, and speaking to the last time I'll mention politics is the universal health care solution. If the national health spending had grown at pre-Medicare rates, the total annual spending, this has been figured out by some eco economists, $220 billion versus $3.6 trillion. That's if things would have averaged by inflation when you take 19, early 60s what the cost of care was, and that's somewhat reflective on the new things we have from CAT scans and other things, but the difference is pretty dramatic. And even if it would be double that, $440 billion versus $3.6 trillion, I mean, it is, uh, it, it's a thing to ponder on when you think about what's going to be talked about in all the debates for these next 12 months. Uh, the, the stats on Medicare were supposed to be insolvent by 2026. So unless they raise the rates on all us taxpayers or unless they cut more services, they're only going to be able to pay 89% in seven years of what gets sent to them. And they already pay pretty. And I, I'm sympathetic with my doctors when I see what they charge me when I have things done and what they get paid. I mean, it's not a, how do you want to say, get-rich-quick scheme. So if, if I leave you with a few pearls, one would be take a proactive role in optimizing your health because you don't easily get it back if it starts to go down or go south on you. So now a little bit of biology, and this would speak to my profession. Uh, and a healthier mouth equals a healthier system. So what that means is if you care for what structures you have, your teeth, your gums, and so forth, your whole digestive system is going to benefit from that. If you have disease in your mouth, everything from diabetes to arthritis to heart disease and so forth takes a downturn. It's like leaving your car lights on to a point. But, and, and not to, after we had such a great breakfast, I won't uh, 
belabor these numbers too much, but <laughs> the mouth, mouth contains 20 billion bacteria, close to 770 different species, of which, and this is a key fact, 1% are negative. I mean, we all have uh, the negative staphs in our mouth. We have negative, uh, dangerous uh, salmonella. We have other things, but they're all kept in check because of the fact that you've got this 20 billion plus keeping down the negative numbers in which they also somewhat take them out of the equation as long as everything's in balance. Uh, we swallow, and this is where it helps the gut, 140 billion bacteria, one liter of saliva a day in most cases, which is what we're doing with that is seeding, helping our digestion for one, but we're seeding our gut flora, and that's what <coughs> produces within us a healthy system because 70% of your immune system comes from the lining of your gut mucosa, meaning the inside lining. Those bacteria are producing everything from vitamin K to immune receptors, which trigger things without uh, them being there. You wouldn't have the ability to fight off infection, fight off diseases, and so forth. So key elements with that is 70% of our immune system, hope not to detour, repeat things too much, lives in the gut. And some of those bacteria in the gut are coming from our mouth in a healthy situation. So uh, the negative to that, and this is somewhat a common practice, not to diss the medical profession, but prescription pad medicine again, the, the frequency of antibiotic prescriptions, of which I'll admit I have been guilty. I rarely write them today, but 10, 15 years ago, that was not a uh, uncommon thing to write. You have this, you have that, you throw antibiotics at them. Typically, even if you write them for the seven to 10 days you're supposed to take them, most people stop at three days, halfways through, which all you've done is wipe out all these good bacteria. And from there, the bad ones have free range. They can grow as much as they want to do. So I'm not saying there's a purpose for antibiotics, but I am saying you need to take what your doctor recommends in the situations that it's applicable to, but then as soon as you're done with the antibiotics or as soon, even while you're taking them, you got to rebuild that gut bacteria. If you don't, it takes months if you ever can get it back by letting it try to take its natural course because you've disturbed what was a natural balance and it takes, it's an uphill struggle to bring it back in again. Studies show that 50% of antibiotic prescriptions from doctor's offices are unnecessary. Again, I've been guilty of that. Uh, and 30 to 60% prescribed in the intensive care unit, which Ron was kind of talking surgery more than intensive care, are unnecessary or inappropriate. But here's where we get down to the nuts and bolts of it. Their standard of care, there's a regimen that the medical profession follows. So if you have this, they do that. Hence the overuse of statins, the overuse of this and that. And uh, you're, I'll get down into the uh, intestinal issue in a minute. But so there is a need and there is a benefit, but the antibiotics do in many cases, more disruption of your health system, that's your own natural immune system to your gut bacteria than what we give enough credence to. 
So again, you have to build it back up. You take probiotics, you take prebiotics, you get serious about looking at, if there's a pearl here, if you're taking antibiotics, you need to do some active roles in rebuilding that gut floor or your system's gonna be depressed for a period of time, if not permanently. And what does an overuse of antibiotics do? It produces superbugs. We've all heard of C. diff, I think, anyway, and we've all heard of MRSA, or had people exposed to it. I mean, these things are not going away, and the kind of nasty stuff up there, and that's not even Ebola, but there's, there's far worse out there. Uh, with where we're heading in this direction is not, um, you, you don't wanna leave yourself open to more things that you can hopefully prevent. That's by having a healthy gut, also a healthy mouth. So, um, so I'm going to go back to my first, second part of my analogy. So if you remember, this patient came in with sweet and cold sensitivity. So now I'm going to take you nine months further down the road, and now he comes in with a swollen face and a lot of pain. It's obviously infection. Pretty much a blind man could feel it and see it. So we write a prescription for antibiotics. <clears throat> Takes him down the road. A couple weeks later, the pain's gone. The infection's gone. My question, okay, first quiz, did I treat the symptoms or did I treat the cause? Because the cause was a cavity. A cavity would have been a simple filling nine months earlier, and sometimes it takes longer, of course, but with the sweets in our diet, which that was great today, by the way. <laughs> the sweets in our diet were kind of accelerating things from that point. So cause versus symptoms. So simple filling, now the person's looking at a more serious problem because even with the antibiotics, which once it addressed the initial infection, the next one's going to be worse because the bugs that were exposed to that course of antibiotics I prescribed aren't going to be as effective the next time because infection's coming back if you don't treat the cause. So that's kind of as close as I could come to making an analogy, but find the cause. And, and I, you know, I appreciate the busyness of the medical profession, but that's why we need to be our own proactive, best source of information. Take the doctor's advice. Don't, don't um, avoid them. But on the other hand, be your own source of information because there's a lot out there. I have a number of books back there. I've got 50, 60 more than that, but these are kind of the key books that I think address some of the topics that that uh, bear looking further into. And if you have some of these symptoms, be it GERD, be it taking prescription uh, medicine from Nexium to Prilosec, et cetera, there's some, some things to look into just to have some personal awareness of what are we cause or symptom or how are we addressing things like that? So case, the case of, um, let me retract that a minute, because um, I got that off a, a sidetrack there. So uh, back to focus. Every time you eat or drink, you are either feeding disease or fighting it. And another way to view that is you are what you eat, really it's, you are what your bugs eat. In other words, how we feed the healthy bacteria in our system and provide for them 
and that's not with sugar. I got a sweet tooth. This is a tough one on me. <laughs> but um, with all of that, and not saying you can't eat sugar. I mean, we just passed through Halloween, for goodness sakes. But I mean, and pies for Thanksgiving. <laughs> it's not going to end. So in, let me let me vouch this with moderation. All right, with moderation. Days past, I could eat a whole sack of Jelly Bellies, not a small sack. And kids were small. I'd go buy licorice. I I don't have a sense of smell, so I'd leave the black licorice out. Kids hated it. They didn't eat it. But the red, I'd hide. It was gone the next day. I couldn't figure this out for a while till I realized you can smell that stuff 50 feet away. <laughs> it wasn't it wasn't helpful. But um, so uh, a direction I want to take now, even though I'm a dentist, I want to review what or give you some thoughts on GERD, which is gastroesophageal reflux disease. We've all heard of that, and the sleep apnea, asthma, and how they're all related because there's no one element that creates this and doesn't affect that. Uh, and I have an interesting thing on Nexium. In nine years, basically, from 2006, uh, and it's current, this only went to 2015, but Nexium, a single pill, $48 billion, is what they sold. Now, they advertise that heavy. We've all seen the ads, TV, and then the disclaimers at the end of it, all the way down the line on, on side effects and so forth. And that's just one of quite a number of, and is there a need for it? I'm not arguing that's possible and probable in certain cases. Is it something you should take for your lifetime? I'm questioning that factor. The drug company wants you to do that because they're not after cures as much as they are sustaining whatever is causing you to buy their product. I mean, they're in it for the money and provide for the stockholders so everybody's happy. And the numbers are huge. I mean, multi, multi-billion. Um, the cost for the GI diseases last year was $150 billion. And are we improving our health by taking our prescriptions blindly or are we causing added problems because of side effects from this or issues from that? I mean, taking a prescription medication is affecting women's osteoporosis, increasing their risk of fractures, which adds more medication, adds more medicine that they need to take to improve their bone density. I mean, it just keeps expanding. One pill has a benefit, it has negatives. The negatives then need more pills. I mean, it's it's a vicious cycle is what comes, in many cases, what comes to be, um, or what is not infrequently. Um, so with that, um, where our diets are today, we've got, and I have friends that do this, they were taking prescription medications. Now they self-medicate with other things, from Tums to uh, other antacids. But their diet is, and I can't, I plant some seeds with them now and then, but their diet is, is what's affecting them. When they eat, as well as what they eat. Most pops, I'll give you a few pH ideas. Seven being neutral, which is where you want to be at the minimum. 
if not more alkaline. And I'm not selling the alkaline philosophy, but if for myself personally, alkaline is, in my estimation, the way we should head. Because all our foods and almost everything we drink is way too acidic. And it's not healthy for our system. We weren't made for that. That's artificial, and it's affecting everything it's counter the way God made us. So if you can stay on a simple path with what we were created how and what we were created to be, uh, I don't see where you can go wrong. Red Bull is 3.4. Five-hour energy, 2.8. And battery acid is 2.5. <laughs> if not 2.7, it varies. But Jones Soda, which is those cute little pictures, 2.8. 7-Up, 3.2. Coke, 2.3. Pepsi, 2.3, both of which are kind of leading the bottom for acidity. Aquafina, which is our bottled water we buy by the case I used to, 6.1. Dasani is 5. So even bottled water is acidic. The reason they do that is shelf life. It has a way of killing more things. You don't get a bottle full of stuff in it that you aren't going to drink in the first place. But so uh, between processed foods and between what we purchase in the pop machines or buy in the stores, we're highly acidic. And that doesn't do our system any good. Um, it's it's not, it might taste good. I might ar not argue that part. But um, so from that situation, um, leave you with I spoke a number of times on this. Uh, do not, uh, not counter our state of medicine today or the medical profession, but you still need to take a proactive role. And there's a lot of stuff out there. Unfortunately, <laughs> there's, there's a lot of misinformation out there too. So how to sort, hence why I brought some books I feel pretty secure on. They've got good research, they've got documentation, they've got a track record, especially the one on stomach acid is good for you. I personally take about 650 to 700 milligrams of betaine hydrochloride with my food. As we get older, our stomach acid production, even if you're not messing with it, with antacids and prescriptions, we produce less. So we need some in your system. I'm not recommending that again. It's take that with a, a food of thought, but you need to uh, consider what is your stomach doing with what you give it, and then how is it being utilized in your intestinal system, the gut, from there on? Um, avoid your latest fad diet. I mean, everybody's got a keto diet, this, no disrespect. I'm, I'm fine when it works. There's no issues with that. Or the gluten-free and on and on. Um, but stay on... Stay as much as you can in the middle of the road. Common sense dictates really what's out there. Avoiding one one type of food and concentrating on another may work for your system, but maybe that's because of the state of your system. Maybe there's a way you can balance yourself back out again uh, to eat pretty much anything. And the key to me, and this is something with relationship to GERD, was what they call silent reflux. You're not having erosive damage to your esophagus from the contents of your stomach coming back up. You're not, and that used to be treated by surgery, but they found that that doesn't work. So that's pretty much off the, <coughs> off the table now in the medical field. But the medication isn't really helping cure it 
let me retract that statement. The medication isn't curing the problem, and it may be helping it, but is there a better way to address the whole situation, take a step back and look at the whole process? Um, not eating four hours before you go to bed, especially someone who suffers from GERD or heartburn or stomach issues, when you lay down, even if you're not producing any back flow, you get gas that comes up through your esophagus into your trachea, your larynx, and back down into your lungs. And that's reflecting uh, symptoms of asthma. It's reflecting symptoms of sleep apnea. It's reflecting symptoms of hoarseness and so forth. Um, and it's, it's a simple solution. Eat, stay upright. For, if you can, four hours is tricky. But the longer you stay upright after you eat, the better. Um, and the key to that is uh, the amount of pneumonia deaths from nursing homes. The midnight snack, and this was my father-in-law as well, they'd feed him pudding, they'd feed him a snack, a cookie at, just before he goes to bed. They go to sleep, they lay down. All of that then produces a non-bacterial pneumonia and many are not recovering from that. Guess why? I mean, it's dietary, it's what their system, their, and this is a common trend, You and I was guilty of that. I mean, if it was snack before bedtime and a midnight snack, I've not quite completely quit that, but it's been a big, <laughs> a big change for me, because horse in the morning, I probably do have asthma, but it's more or less affected by uh, habits as much as it is the true uh, asthma due to my allergies and colicness and so forth. But um, So things you can do. I mean, there's a list of those resources. Most of those in the end, that bibliography is the books I have back there. Um, things we can do, take charge. I mean, things you're able to do, uh, take the bull by the horns. Um, remember that Big Pharma, your drug companies probably aren't as concerned about curing you as maintaining your status. They want you to keep buying their product. And, I mean, that's business. I mean, that's, that's their uh, mode of operation. Are there good products out there? There are some. And, and they need to be taken if you're prescribed them for a purpose and a reason. But evaluate them. And, and see what's what's happening from there. I believe myself personally, alkaline water is better than tap water, or for sure what you buy. I mean, supposedly <coughs> there's glacier water, and it comes from uh, Norway or somewhere up there that's supposed to have a higher pH. But the tests they've run on it, it's pretty variable, and it's pricey. Um, so with that, there's a book I have back there on uh, relating to the sun. And this is completely not off the charts, but this is kind of on the fringe. I mean, how the sun affects our health, not that it doesn't also affect the climate, of course, but the sunspots and the lack thereof these days, but also the geomagnetic, I mean, what's coming from the sun in the sense of cosmic radiation and how it affects our health and we have no say in what that does unless you live in a cave or you stay indoors in the center of a big building to avoid some of that but 
that bears some research into it. And I didn't put this down, so I don't know if you have pens or not, but in regards to this relationship with how the sun affects us, um, there's a YouTube uh, website, and it's just suspicious observers. Um, and they get a lot of negative because they're countercultural to what is the common science of both cosmology as well as uh, weather and environment and so forth. But I can't say I've ever found them to be wrong. And I mean, more and more uh, attention is being spent on them that they're coming up with, and more and more published papers and other uh, astronomical and so forth papers come up. But how the sun affects us is, is pretty interesting. Mental health as well as physical health. So um, we all kind of catch that, the, what the full moon does to you when it's out and does to people, state of mind and, and so forth. It's not just that, but it's the sun in and of itself. So uh, I'd recommend, you know, if you have a spare 20 minutes or sometime, browse that Suspicious Observer's YouTube, and then they have an app for your phone if you want, and they have websites and so forth. But that's, to sum it up, uh, I mean, you can't be taking your health for granted because the government's not going to take your health seriously. They're not out to... Um, promote um, your health, if, if anything, they're probably going to be minimizing your access to care is probably the better way to say it, um, especially if you get more universal care. I mean, it's um, becoming the smartest person you can about your own body and how your own body operates, to me, is money in the bank. And finally... All right, as a dentist, i got to say this. So, healthy mouth equals healthy system. So, you got to floss. I mean, now I'll be honest, I didn't floss last night. But if I miss two nights in a row, that's rare, if not impossible. And so, flossing is half to two-thirds of the health of your gums. And healthy gums, again, reflect on that 20 billion bacteria and, and so forth. So, you can't get there with just brushing. Sorry. Water picks not saying they can't do an improvement. So water picks have a basis, but mechanical flossing, no electricity. I mean, you just get in there and do it. And of course, if your gums bleed when you floss, keep doing it because that tells you that's a warning sign. That's a red flag. But so that's the